Thank you, worship team. If you are an instrumentalist or a singer, but instrumentalist, and you are interested in joining the worship team, let us know. Some people think it's a closed group. It's really not. It's an open, living, constantly morphing organism that's always looking. Part of it is there, there's different styles, and I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong, but there is this style that says we have the A team, the B team, the C team, not because one's better, but they keep them together as a team. And I'm always like, no, mix it up, and let's see what happens. I like soup, I guess. I don't know. Let's throw a bunch of stuff in a pot and see what it sounds like. I think it's probably much to Jen's chagrin that I do that to her, but like, you should mix this up again. I'm glad you're here today. Some of you know, um, I was gone on an unexpected, unplanned trip. I left last Monday just after midnight to go back and be with my mom for a few days. She fell and broke her leg, and many of you have sent messages and emails and let me know that you were praying, and I appreciate that. Uh, my mom is doing great. It's really, for those of you who don't know my life situation, it's my dad. My dad is elderly, um, has some early onset dementia. Some people have said, was it Alzheimer's or dementia? You know, I don't know, and they won't know for sure it's Alzheimer's until he dies and they crack his brain open. So, you know, I'm just going to go with he has something. <laughs> and I guess I don't know the differences or the subtleties enough to know that my mom is really what holds our, their household together. And um, the incredible amount of respect that she's always had for my dad and protecting him this last decade since he began to fail has been nothing short of just incredible. Like if you watched them and the way they interact... It really is beautiful. So I was, you know, I'm worried about my mom, but like the whole time I'm sitting with my mom, her comment every day is, I'm, I'm at her bedside in, in the hospital, and she's like, it's so great to see you. Why don't you go home and make sure your dad eats lunch? You know? Well, mom, I came to see you. I really appreciate that. Why don't you go home and check on dad? So I would go home every day and just spend a couple hours just sitting there just talking to my dad, who... He comprehends what's going on, but he doesn't understand. He keeps saying, like when I finally could talk him into, I had to talk him into going to see my mom at the nursing home. And he just said, I don't understand why you can't, if they help you up the stairs, why you can't just be at home, Janet. She's literally, she's non-weight bearing. She's got to have nursing care to do, to change clothes, to use the restroom, all of that. But my dad doesn't get it. So I do appreciate your prayers for my mom for a quick recovery. If you think about it, please pray for my dad because he's, just trying to get him to understand mom could be gone. When I told him the end of March, he goes, oh, that's too long, Janet. I said, dad, that, that's the earliest she'll be home. They're saying it could be June. He goes, no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> His only response is no. So, okay, I'll let the doctor know what you said, dad. But I do appreciate your prayers and your support, and it's just this awkward place in life where you're telling your parents what they need to do and how to live. and So it's just been, it was that emotional week, but it was also, I, I always say, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word if we're open and willing to listen. And it doesn't matter, and that's why I say, when people say, I'm not being fed in your church, I'm always like, I'm sorry you don't like something, but feed yourself then, because the Holy Spirit will speak to us when we're willing to listen. If we're open to it. Now, it may not, every message isn't going to be like, wow, what a home run, despite what Sally used to always tell me. Not everyone is. 
but the Holy Spirit is real and working. And I thought it was very interesting, and I don't even think it's ironic. I think it's reality that the Holy Spirit gave me a series to speak, and this was back in September, October. Somebody really said, I'd really like you to do this series, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll put something together. And then I'm speaking about who I am in Christ as I'm going through this, trying to define my new role. Because I've always been the son, but I haven't had to be the caretaker. And I certainly haven't had to do it from 2,000 miles away. You know, my mom reminded me, well, you're my medical power of attorney. And I was like, that's great. Make sure they have my cell number, I guess. (laughs) I'm not sure what you want me to do with that, mom. But as I was looking over these notes again, just reminding myself of who I am in Christ, that's how I need to define myself. So here's what we got today. First off, I am loved, so I must love. A lot of this, you're going to say, wait, didn't you do this before? Yeah, this is a recap of everything I want you to walk away with from this series. So from a series of messages, I boiled it down to five things I want you to walk away with. I am loved, so I must love. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 tells me this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. I love how it doesn't say, if anyone has a complaint against another, make sure that you voice it on social media and let the whole world know. I think I prefer this approach. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Every year when I take the group to Mexico, the first rule I teach them is the entire trip is about flexibility. You have to be flexible because we are going to have the best laid plans and then I'm going to go over those at our morning meeting and the pastor is going to show up and say, okay, here's what we're going to do instead. Right, 10 minutes after I just finished telling them and I'm walking back, all right, put away the paintbrushes we just had you get out. We're now going to a park to sing. (laughs) What? I don't know. Those are the only words I understood. We're park and singing. So just get ready, get stuff. We're going to go in the vans and go sing, I think. Or listen to someone sing, maybe. I don't know. My Spanish isn't that good. But we got to be flexible. But the second thing I tell them, that I tell them multiple times throughout the meetings, is I'm going to hurt your feelings. And when I do, you have to be quick to forgive. It's not that I'm trying to be mean to you. It's that I have a job to get done, and I'm going to say, this is how it is right now, and that's going to hurt your feelings. It is, because I know I'm a bull in a china shop, and I will run through this place to get done what needs to get done. So I'm going to hurt your feelings. You've got to forgive me. And there's two ways to approach it. One is you can just forgive me and never even tell me. The other is you're allowed to come and say, Jeff, that really hurt my feelings. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to instantly say, I'm really sorry I hurt your feelings. Now I need you to do what I asked you to do. I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm not going to say, well, I'm tired and I'm trying to think. I'm going to apologize. And then I'm going to say, now let's move forward because we have to move forward. You know what? I think so much of the problem we have in the church, the problem people have with organized religion, is we don't focus on the, I'm going to, I know that I'm loved, so I'm going to love others. We focus on the, but I've always been told I'm special, and now you hurt my feelings. And because you hurt my feelings, I'm going to discount who you are as a person, or even what the scripture says, I'm going to stop coming. I'm going to leave. I'm going to separate. I'm going to break this relationship. Because it's a lot easier if I'm not getting my way to just break it and find somewhere where I can get my way than it is to actually work on this 
and on my heart and on changing and on understanding that one of the greatest things I can do is interact with people that aren't quite exactly like me and don't think like me. And the reason I say I'm very much open as a church to us having different political opinions, different ideas, different philosophies, even different interpretation of some of the key texts in the Bible is because Jesus didn't say, find a group that's exactly like you and then sit in a private spot and don't let anybody else in. What he said is, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know what? When you go into the world, there's people that are going to hate you. But we're still called to preach the gospel and to love them. And that's not fair. And that's not right. But it's good. And if I'm going to do what God has called me to do, I have to love people simply because they exist. Because I am loved simply because I exist. It's not based on my worth. It's not based on whether or not I worship God. There's no caveat that says, if you worship me, I will love you. He looks and he says, I will love you. It's not based on my morality or following a certain set of rules. We want to make it based on rules because then we know exactly who's in and who's out. And if you agree with my three or four or five things, then you're like me and then you get to be in and everybody else is shut out. I call it the country club mentality. I worked at a country club. Once a year, they would open membership. Every year, the members would vote to keep membership closed. But they had a certain quota that they wanted to be at. And I would watch people at these annual meetings who got in a year before at the open time say, we should really close it now. There's too many people on the golf course. A year ago, you were the one on the outside that wanted in. Unless it's like your brother or your cousin or your business partner, well, then we need to make an exception. Because we want, as long as we're in, we want to make sure we know who's out. We want to make sure we have really clear dividing lines. And that's why it becomes based on our set of rules. But we're given a beautiful picture of how to reflect Jesus. And Jesus should always be an invitation for everybody. There are people who don't like, there's actually people that left the church a while back because of the way I do communion. Because they take one scripture and they see it differently. And I say it's an open table. Everybody come in. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's invited. And they left because they said they couldn't take communion with people that knew that they had sin in their life. And I was like, whether they know it or not, the sin is the same. I hate to be the one. If I'm the one shattering your illusion, I'm sorry, but you're a sinner. You are. You are a sinner, and so am I. And he invites us to partake with him because he has said, come and be a reflection of me. Show the world that's lost and dying and broken that there is a different way to live, that there is hope. And he invites you as a sinner to be his representation. And I look and I go, oh God, I'm not worthy. And he goes, nope, and you never will be, but I love you anyway. And too many of us are looking for those that are worthy. The second thing, knowing and understanding who I am in Christ, I am offered forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace, not in your actions or mine. Again, that's Ephesians 1, 7 if you're jotting it down. Not in how good you are, but in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. It's not forced. You don't have to take the gift that's offered. I have free will and can choose. Too many people take it as a, well, you have to. No, it's an invitation. You're welcome to. You're invited to. I've had people who have left the church 
like, well, they went when they were growing up, they walked away and they would say, well, because they made me do this or they made me do that. I was like, well, it shouldn't have been made. You should have been given an invitation. But when I'm given an invitation, I want to go. I have a hard and fast rule that I established years ago that if I get invited to a party, I go. Unless I honestly can't go. And then, if I'm invited to a birthday party and I can't go, and it's any of my, anybody under 18, they still get a gift. So if I can't go, I'm still going to say, hey, I wish I could be there. I wish $25 worth I could be there. <laughs> because if I'm invited, I want to be a part of it. But I don't want to be told, you have to do this and you have to do that. Nobody does. But Jesus is saying, in him, you're offered forgiveness. It's offered to all people. Many people don't like this because they don't want bad people to have the same forgiveness as they do. We want people to look and act and sound and be like us, especially once they're in the church. And there's so many churches that say, you can come here as long as you dress this way and talk this way and look this way. And I look and I say, you can come here and there's no caveat. I guess I don't want you to be rude to me or obnoxiously loud. I've had people like that that I've asked to talk to me later. Why don't you go outside? Sounds like you have a lot of things you want to say. Let's talk about this later. But I don't want people to think they got to be like me in order to be here because I'm a poor image of Christ. I'm doing my best, but I'm a poor image. But what I want you to understand is I want you to be like Jesus and who he says you are. And it's offered to all people. I think the way we see this the most is in the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32. I'm not going to put it up. It's too much to put up on the screen. But the, the son comes and says, I want my share of the wealth. And he leaves and he squanders it. And he's living amongst the pigs, which again, he's Jewish. So you can imagine the devastation that that would be since they're an unclean animal that they're not even allowed to eat. And when he comes back, The brother looks and says, basically, I spent all this time doing good. What about me? Why are you going to have a party for him? And the father says, because it's not about what he did. It's about the fact that he came back. That's what I'm celebrating. I'm not celebrating his sin and his lifestyle while he was away. I'm celebrating the fact that he's come home. A year ago, about this time, I actually got to go to Russia I always said if I ever went to St. Petersburg, there was one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the Hermitage Museum. And there's only one reason. I wanted to stand in front of Rembrandt's painting, The Prodigal Son. Because about 10 years ago, I was going through an emotional breakdown and I had to go through counseling just to dig me out of the depression I was in. And one of the things is I read this, this book about that painting. And I always said, oh man, I want to see that thing in real life. There's been three paintings in my life I've wanted to see, and I've gotten to see two out of the three. That was the second one I've gotten to see. But this museum is massive. To put it in perspective, if you wonder how large this museum is, this was a Catherine the Great's summer palace. It's on a river. And if you spent just walking down the halls eight hours a day, it would take like six years to go through every hall of this place. It's that massive. It's larger than the Pentagon, in case you're wondering, how big is this place? And that's her summer palace. They actually say she was probably never actually even in every room of her own summer palace. And so we walk through this weird labyrinth, this weird maze to get there. And I get there, and I'm standing before this picture, and it's bigger than I realized. I didn't realize. I mean, it's, it's big. A lot of paintings, you think they're big, and then you get there, and they're like this big, and you're like, oh, it's tiny. 
This thing's massive. And as I stand there, and I stand before it, I literally begin to cry. Because I look and I go, none of us is worthy. And yet you see this picture, as Rembrandt saw it, of the father with his son. And the father's there on his knees. And then you see in the very background this image of this angry face. Instead of celebrating what had come home, it's the image of the brother. And he's angry. Some say, no, he's not angry, he's confused. But from my perspective, as I looked at this painting, he's just angry. Because it's not the way he wanted it. This isn't what I wanted. I've done what's right. I've been good. Why should he get the same thing I get? And I'm here today today to tell you, it doesn't matter how much you've sinned, and it doesn't matter how unjust you think it is. You are offered forgiveness, and so is everyone around you. And that hope and that forgiveness comes to all who want it. Now, here's the hard part is, you're not stuck with it. We still have free will. I've known people that accepted it, looked at it, walked, and then walked away. The question is, if we saw what Jesus really looked like, would we take it? Because we have this idealized version of what Jesus looks like. Mine is the famous painting where he looks like he's kind of got the 1970s hairdo and a neatly trimmed beard that was in many a Sunday school and the church that I grew up in is actually painted by an Italian painter and he made him look Italian, a very light-skinned Italian. And that's kind of how some of us view Jesus. He's clean and neat, has a beard to show how rugged he is, but it's a neatly trimmed beard. The truth is, he was the son of a carpenter and a carpenter, and he would have been rough, and his hands would have been rough, and he was able to appeal, appeal to fishermen and to tradesmen and to prostitutes and to people that were broken. And he probably wasn't clean, and he probably wasn't neat, and he probably was a lot more rough than we realized. And I'm not talking a rugged machoism. I'm talking just a day-to-day guy who worked with his hands in the first century. Would we have looked at him and said, yeah, that guy, he's the one? Or would we have missed it? Because I think sometimes we have these moments today still where Jesus wants to do something in us and we miss it because it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. The third thing I am in in freedom in Christ is that Christ reigns in me. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by flesh in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, I won't be the same. I'm not perfect, but I won't be the same. I will be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. And I will change and shed and lose those things that don't reflect Christ over time. I am not perfect, and I'm not looking for perfection. But they say that the key to weight loss is a little bit each day. The crash diet where, oh, I lost 14 pounds in seven days. That's probably not healthy. But to eat less and to exercise more, to eat less and exercise more, and to eat less and exercise more, that's the way we're supposed to do it. I lost 22 pounds last fall. I put like 12 back on. Why? Because I like to eat more and not move. 
But if I'm going to be like Christ, I've got to do a little bit each day. I've got to look and evaluate and say, that's not Christ-like. Where did that come from? In my speech, in my actions, in my heart, in my mind. Am I doing what I have to do? Because if Christ reigns in me, I am not the same. And if I think it's about following a bunch of rules, then Christ died in vain. So it's not me setting rules for the church. It's me looking and asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to change inside of me to make me more of a reflection of him? I'm free from the law and I'm invited and invited into communion with God. What a beautiful picture. I'm free from all these rules and I'm invited into communion because he knows the rules are just going to make me find out what I have to do. Keep off the lawn so I won't touch the lawn, but I'm going to put my foot as close as I can. I'm going to hover over it. Don't do this, don't do that. And everybody who does, they're bad and they're out, but I'm good and I'm in. And I want to walk as close to that line as I can. As close to the edge as I can because it's too hard to really make those changes. The fourth thing is, I have the promise of wholeness and healing. I am promised this. I am promised wholeness and healing. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I, I don't know if you've ever worked with sheep. Anybody in here ever a sheep farmer? My uncle was a sheep farmer. I would go out and help him shear the sheep in the spring. You let him grow the thick wool all summer, all winter, and then we'd shear them once, usually late April, early May, get all the thick wool off. They'd be so excited and so happy. But when you were trying to get them to come into the shearing shed, it's like a little barn area. It's, you've ever heard herding cats? I think that would be easier than herding sheep. They run, and they run. But what they don't do, we would take a bucket of feed and just gently shake it. And they'd come, and they'd almost line up, and you just shake it. You chase them, and you try to make them do what you want, and they go everywhere. Shake that little bucket of feed, and they literally would, you'd see them just coming over the hill, down in a line, and up. And we'd get them, wanted to, we'd just shake it and walk into the shed, and they'd follow us. And then you set the gate, because you don't want 14 of them in there at a time, pushing you over for food. And they're just standing there. And you let one go out, and the next one, you just shake that bucket. And then while they're in there, you're feeding them. They're gentle, and they're easy. But start chasing them, and they go. The problem is, we've scattered as sheep, and we don't know how to come back together. And he's looking and he's saying, I have this promise of wholeness and healing. But us, we're running because we're scared and we don't get it. And it's weird and it's hard to understand. And so we don't want the Holy Spirit because we don't want that. I've seen that and I've seen people do this. And I've seen people... Okay, I've said before, if we just were a little less weird and a little more loving and inviting, people wouldn't be so scared of it. The Holy Spirit is not there to attack you. The Holy Spirit is there to give you guidance and comfort. And through him, through Jesus, we have the healing. And we call on the Holy Spirit to give that to us, to enrich us and to fill us. It doesn't say we get favor for a lifetime so that we'll never be sick. 
This is a, if you do what's right, then you're going to be prosperous, and everybody else, they'll suffer. That's not at all what it says. It says, all have gone astray. And we have everyone turned to his own way. Not some people, all of us have. And he invites us back. He was wounded so that we could be whole. And yet, we don't even take advantage of being prayed for because it might be awkward or it might be weird. I did the whole series on healing and I said, a lot of people don't want to come forward because what if I don't get healed? And there's a lot of people that don't come forward because what if I do? This is my identity. My affliction is my identity. This is what I talk to people about when we're sitting at coffee. Well, I can't complain, but I'm about to for the next 10 minutes. I've told you, I want you to be real with me. Don't be fake and don't hide and don't act like everything's perfect when it's not. But let's not sit there in that imperfection and act like everything's good and normal either. Why don't we see the miraculous anymore? People will ask me that. We do. Just doesn't always look like what we want it to. The Holy Spirit is still working and active and moving in people and in our lives. God is still healing people. Does it always happen the way we want? No, because you're not God and you don't get to pull a string and control it. The most accurate picture I can give when I try to explain this to people, if you've ever seen Toy Story and you pull the little string on Woody and he's got one of seven sayings and we want that to be God, that we come up and we pull the string and then he has to spit out what we want. Good job, partner. You're all better. And then we walk off, and that's it. <laughs> and that's, we, we, we say we don't, but the reality is, that's what we want. We want God to do it in our way, in our time. And I'm here to say, be bold enough to be prayed for every day, every week, every chance you get, if you have an affliction. But know that you are mortal. You're not going to pray away death. You're not going to pray for immortality and get it because we live in a broken, fallen world. And yet, we have a spirit that lives on, so in another way, you are immortal. Just not this physical shell of a body. And yet, he doesn't want our physical shell to be constantly broken either. If I'm in Christ, and I am, I am an overcomer. 1 John 4, 4 says this, You are of God, little children. And have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Nothing can come against me that will destroy my faith. However, I can choose to leave my faith behind. He's looking and he's saying, nothing destroys your faith, but you can choose to say, I don't believe anymore because it didn't happen the way I wanted it. Because life didn't look like what I imagined it when I was 14, 23, 38. I've known people that have struggled in their marriage and they were, they've told me literally, it just wasn't like what I thought it was going to be. I was told that if I did this and this and this, everything was going to be perfect. And I usually go, I'm sorry you were lied to. Because marriage is hard and it will always be hard because it's always about a sacrifice for you for another person. And that kind of stinks. I want to get my way because I like my way. That's why it's mine. And in the areas where we can agree that we both want my way, then everything's great. And if you just do that, things would be good. But that's not real relationship either. 
That's not. Real relationship is compromise and give and take and learning and growing. And I am not the same person I was 25 years ago, and I'm thankful for that. And my theology has changed, and I know more of who Christ is, and the more I learn, the more I realize, wow, I know so little about who he is. And yet, 25 years ago, when I finished Bible college, I really thought I had this all together. Perfect, I'll go get everybody saved, because you guys have sucked for the last 1,500 years. Let me do it, we'll get on track. But the reality is, the more I learn, the more I grow, the more I discover, oh, who is this Jesus that I claim to be a follower of? And how do I sacrifice things from my own life to be a true follower of his? Because that's hard, and that's painful. And that means I don't get to do everything I want. And yet, I am an overcomer. Nothing can destroy my faith. I have nothing to fear in this world. However, this world can cause me pain and anxiety and stress, but all of that can be overcome because God is greater than those challenges that I face. It doesn't say it's easy. I'm looking for the words, it's really easy, but that's not written in here. I hate it when people say, three simple steps to your faith. No, there are no simple steps. Stop lying to people. The steps are really, really hard. And interpretation's very different. My pastor in uh, San Diego, some of you know he was raised Jewish and didn't become a Christian until he was in college, but his reading of Hebrew is beyond what I can even comprehend. His is like scholarly level because his dad was a doctor and his dad would make them read Hebrew nightly because he thought it was good for them. And so they'd read other things in Hebrew. And so he can understand and put things contextually. He goes, and we would always talk about translations and he's going, Find one that you like and that you can read easily and know that they're all wrong because, not because he's always right, but because you're dealing with a language that's thousands of years old in a context you can't comprehend. And so we've tried to make laws for our church and for our society and for our community based on things we're not fully even comprehending. They came through the microscope and the the vision of somebody else. Am I saying don't read the word? No, I'm saying read it, envelop it, love it, know it. But stop condemning others because they have a different interpretation than you. Stop creating your own theology that's so narrow that only you and a small select group of people can get in and everybody else is out. Start saying, hey, let's find our common ground because I can overcome the things of this world, but not if I'm always putting everybody else in their own corner doesn't mean that the scripture is flawed. It means you're just not as smart as God. Sorry if I'm the one to burst your bubble. The scripture is real and true and meant for life. And we are overcomers. We are overcomers, my friend. You do not have to be defeated. It doesn't mean things don't come against you. It means you don't have to be beaten. To win a game, and I know this isn't a game, but to win a game, you have to take on an opponent. You can go out and practice all you want. My daughter, from the age of four until 10, was this phenomenal tennis player. And she quit playing as soon as we started having her play against other people. Why? Because she didn't love the game anymore? No, because she didn't like the stress and anxiety that facing an opponent gave her. And she had this coach who actually was a college coach, and he loved working with her. And he kept trying to get into her head and saying, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. And she'd be like, yeah, it does. 
If I can't win, I don't even want to play. You'd be like, the only way you're going to get better. And she goes, I don't care. And finally, at age 10, my daughter walked away from it. She was so good. He wanted her to move, actually, to Florida and start training. And I was like, no, that ain't happening. But it doesn't mean just because she had competition and things coming against her that she wasn't good. It meant she was, and that's why there was opposition. So what are the takeaways from this series? You've got to walk in confidence in Christ. You're not bound by your past, by pain, by failure, by fear, by anxiety, by anger, by stress, by failure. You are free from those chains that bind you. You have been freed to walk in who you are as overcomers, as people who contain the very knowledge of who God is in his scripture, as people who have been given the authority to pray over people and see the sick healed and the broken made whole. You, the person who's going, what, me? No, I'm just a construction worker. I'm just a plumber. I'm just an attorney. I'm just a guy who struggles to do anything. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. You don't know me, Jeff. Sorry, I want to know you, but I also know who you are in Christ, and it's bigger than what you think. It's bigger than your past. It's bigger than your greatest success. It's bigger than your greatest failure. Walk confident in who you are in Christ. 1 John 5, 18 through 20 says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You are in Jesus Christ. You're no longer under the power and authority that came over you in sin. It doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. It means you don't have to be under that power and authority. You are free from that. And that freedom is only experienced when we choose to walk in it. I'm telling you today, you don't have to be bound by those things. You say, Jeff, I have this addiction. You don't have to be bound by that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying there's not a process. What I'm saying is, it doesn't own you. Your past doesn't own you. There may be consequences. You may still be paying on those consequences, but it doesn't own you. It doesn't define you because you are free in Christ. And I want you to learn to walk in that freedom because when you walk in that freedom, the world around you is going to want to know and understand. They may hate you. It says right here, they're not going to like you because they're under the sway of the wicked one or under the sway of the enemy. They're not going to like you, but they're still going to want to understand. If we go back to the very first point I made, I am loved, and when I love others, they're changed. That's how we win the world. We don't win the world by having a moral crusade and standing out. And again, I'm not saying don't do what your conscience tells you to do. But me standing at a baseball game with a giant banner that tells people they're going to hell, probably not the most effective tool to really win the world. Scripture tells us it's his kindness that leads us to redemption, not his judgment. 
Is that what their call is? I don't know. I've had conversations with people that do that, and I never come to a conclusion where I go, yeah, that's what I ought to be doing. I come back to the, maybe if I love my neighbor more this week, maybe if I'm less of a jerk to the people around me, maybe if I work on my inner pain so that God can be seen more clearly, maybe then the world will experience Jesus in the way I want him to. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this congregation and this community. May we know you. May we reflect you. May we see you more. God, may we be your people, called by your name, out of darkness and into the glorious light, not so that we can exclude others that are out in darkness, but so that we are opening a door and lighting a light for them to see who you are. Let us be confident in who we are in you. And in that confidence, we walk forward to the freedom that you've promised. In your name, amen. I would like to invite you, if you would like prayer, the prayer team will be up here on both sides. So if you'd like prayer um, for anything physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, financial, if marriage, family, whatever you got going on, come and get prayer. And then secondly, I'd just like to say, um, I'm glad that you're part of our community here, our faith community. And uh, if there's anything that you need from me, please don't hesitate to reach out. Sometimes I hear things second or third hand and didn't even know. Know that I love you and I want to be involved in your life. So have a great week. We'll see you again soon.